The Squiz is a free weekday email and podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. Twenty twenty. It was a big one. This shortcut is aimed at achieving one thing to catch you up on where some of the big issues are so you can impress your friends and family over the Christmas break. To that end, we'll take you through the fallout from the bushfires, where things are at with coronavirus around the world, what's the latest between Australia and China, how our economy is faring in this year of upheaval, and finally, where things landed post-US election. Squeeze Shortcuts is the backstory to the big news stories. I'm Kate Watson. And I'm Claire Kimball. At the back end of 2019, Claire, and the start of 2020, the extreme heat, prolonged drought and strong winds saw bushfires explode first in northern New South Wales and Queensland, and eventually in the south of New South Wales, eastern Victoria and South Australia. No one can forget what a truly terrifying start to the year it was. It really was. The 2019-20 bushfire season, known as the Black Summer, saw some 24 million hectares of land burned, more than 3,000 homes were destroyed and 3 billion animals were killed or displaced. 33 people died, including six firefighters and three American aerial firefighters. Estimates of the national financial impacts say that it cost Australia $10 billion. Yeah, it was one of the worst fire seasons on record. And from there, debate kicked off about whether there was something unprecedented about the Black Summer fires, given the issue of climate change and global warming. The key question around Christmas lunch, Claire, will likely be, did climate change cause the bushfires? And what the Royal Commission that was set up after it heard was that climate change and global warming made things drier and hotter in some areas, particularly on the East Coast. And that certainly contributed to the high intensity of some fires. But that's not a statement that you can apply to everything that went down over the season. Aside from the cause, there was also a lot of debate about the handling of the emergency at the time and how things could be done differently if there is to be, and hopefully not, a next time. And that was one of the reasons why Prime Minister Scott Morrison set up that Royal Commission. It was to consider national natural disaster coordination arrangements that would see states, territories and federal bodies like our Defence Forces work better together. Mm. And the report that was handed down at the end of October recommended ways to put those arrangements in place. The good news, Claire, is that it does look like there's going to be some reprieve with big fires unexpected this year. That's because La Nina is in town and La Nina brings wet conditions. She certainly does. We're going to get rain this summer. so And we're already seeing that on the east coast of Australia, flooding and rain, and that's going to continue across the summer. Seems we can't win. That'll have you covered off on your weather chat, though. From there, I expect there'll be another topic of discussion during this holiday break. That's the coronavirus pandemic. Claire, I considered asking you to give us a 30-second overview of the unfolding global health emergency we're currently in, but that seemed a pretty big ask. So instead, I hear you've prepared some talking points, starting with what we know a year on about the origins of the virus. Yeah, I'm glad you haven't set me that big challenge, but on the origin of the virus, 
it's still not confirmed and patient zero might never be found. What researchers say is that the person who was first confirmed with the case in Wuhan, China, had no apparent connection to that wet market that's been in focus. So there's certainly no certainty about how that virus started. What is certain, though, is that Chinese state media's claims that it could have been someone from outside of the country that brought it into China is rubbish. Yeah, all that feeds into Australia's position and many other nations' position that a proper investigation needs to happen because we need to know how a virus like this that's disrupted the world actually started. I'm hoping an update on that inquiry is your second talking point. It sure is, and it's only just kicked off. It's politically sensitive, of course. We've seen that play out this year, and there's been a lot of resistance from China. But under an agreement between the World Health Organization and China's government, 10 overseas experts, including Aussie microbiologist Dominic Dwyer, will assess the research that's already been undertaken by Chinese scientists. Noting that Australia was the first in the world to call for this inquiry, which made China pretty cranky. More on that in the next segment. Before we leave this, though, the sobering stuff, Claire, how many people have lost their lives to COVID-19? As we record this podcast, we're on the way to 73 million confirmed cases of COVID-19 and 1.6 million deaths. 47.4 million people have recovered. Yeah, those are hard numbers to digest, really. So let's finish this section on a positive note. It's hard to go past the efforts of researchers, Claire, to develop vaccines to offer protections against the virus. Vaccinations have started and they've been given to people in the UK, the US, across Russia and China. China's vaccine is also being distributed to Indonesia as well as South American and Middle Eastern nations. Canada and Germany will start soon. Uh, As far as where Australia is at, we're aiming to get started in March. And really probably the key fact to know as you head off to your Christmas lunch is that a vaccine takes 10 years to develop usually, but some very smart people have done it in less than a year. Yeah, that's what happens when you get smart people together, businesses, governments, all working for the one goal. And Claire, that touches on another big theme of 2020, and that's China. It's hard to remember with the weird time warp that's been 2020, but Australia was already having relationship difficulties with China before the pandemic. But after we let a call for the World Health Organization inquiry to happen, things got hella bumpy. And hella bumpy is the official diplomatic term, I think. I think it It certainly did. And it's easy to put things down to one or two things. But in November, a dossier of 14 disputes was handed over by the Chinese embassy in Canberra to Nine News. And what were those 14 disputes all about? Well, they're all tensions that have been building up for some time and over a range of issues. For example, supporting the United States in keeping the South China Sea travel routes open, uh, supporting the freedoms of Hong Kongers, as well as things like banning Huawei from the 5G network that happened back in 2018, and also blocking Chinese foreign investment deals. So it's a lot of different things. Yeah, the flow and effect of these disputes has been a lot of heartache for our exporters this year. 
And that's right, China has found reason to restrict and ban trade or whack tariffs on stuff. So, for example, if you're a barley or a lobster farmer, a winemaker or a timber producer, your biggest export market is under threat, if not closed. Doing well, though, is iron ore and it's actually benefited from this crisis because the price keeps going up as things get more and more heated. And it's a market that seems immune to the threat because China needs our iron ore to build its cities. And not that we can travel anyway, but this growing tension has meant the official advice for Australians is now not to travel to China. Even our journalists have been evacuated. Yeah, the ABC's Bill Birdles and the Financial Review's Michael Smith remain at home. Australia has no working journalists based in China at the moment. It's the first time that's happened for decades. And as we come to the end of the year, we should also mention that there's been no new news about Australian Chinese academic Yang Hen. Jung or the journalist Cheng Lei. They're both in detention in China. Uh, both have been accused of spying and with the current friction, it doesn't seem like their release will be anytime soon. All this tension with China, of course, has flow-on effects for our economy. They are a major trade partner, as we touched on a second ago. On that, let's take a look at our economy. Claire, I reckon the economy is going to get a bit of a workout when it comes to holiday chat. And that's because there's a lot still to play out, a lot of speculation. But what we know is that we went into recession for the first time in 29 years this year. And just like that, we're out of it. It's been a wild year for the economy. The coronavirus is a dual health and economic crisis here and around the world, and it created a year of wildly fluctuating data. Mm. What the latest Aussie figures showed is that our economy grew by 3.3% in the July-September quarter. That's the largest quarterly increase on record since 1976. It came, though, after a 7% contraction in the April to June quarter, and that was the largest quarterly fall on record. Still, though, when you look at economic growth over the previous 12 months, it's down by 3.8%. So I'm not sure anyone is arguing that we're through the worst of it yet. Absolutely not. One of the biggest issues is unemployment and JobKeeper, which was Australia's largest ever stimulus measure costing about $100 billion, did a lot to protect the economy. But that's slated to end in March 2021. And there's some holding of our collective breath to see what happens then. You mentioned unemployment. That was expected to hit a peak of 10% this year, but the thinking is it might come in at around 7.5%. That means hundreds of thousands more people stayed in work than what was expected this year. But for those who lost their jobs, the expectation is that it could take some time for the economy to recover and to get those people back in work at the same levels that were seen at the start of 2020. Employment is now the benchmark for how our economy is performing, according to the Reserve Bank. It's been Australia's worst economic shock in 100 years. How is the global economy faring? It's still very closely tied to the coronavirus crisis and in the US and Europe, cases are on the rise there. What the OECD says is that the recovery will be uneven across countries and sectors uh, and it could lead to lasting changes in the world economy. It also points out that countries with effective testing, tracking and vaccination programs, particularly if vaccines are going to be distributed rapidly, they should perform well as far as their economy goes. But there's a very high degree of uncertainty that still persists. All right. Any family disputes over the economy seem to be easily put to bed by saying that no one really knows what's going to happen. 
Sorted. Claire, you mentioned the US in there. In this final segment, we'll give an update on the other big news story of 2020, November's US elections. I reckon, Claire, I can cover this one off pretty quickly. Joe Mm -hmm. Biden won. Donald Trump lost. (laughs) Can we get stuck into the Christmas ham now, please? A bit of ham sounds great, but just a couple of other things to add. Uh, Trump continues to contest the result as Joe Biden's team gets ready to transition to power after he and Vice President Kamala Harris are inaugurated on the 20th of January. Yes, he does contest the result, but despite this, Joe Biden will become president. The question that's outstanding is what sort of Congress Biden will face. And that's important because it will dictate how much of his policy platform he's able to action. That's right. The Democrats have retained the House of Representatives, so that's good news for Biden. But the Senate is yet to be decided. And there's two runoff elections in the state of Georgia that will decide if the Senate stays in Republican hands, which would make life difficult for Biden, or if it swings the Democrats' way. And that's happening because none of the candidates in the two Senate races in Georgia won a required 50% of the vote to secure the spot. So those votes are happening on the 5th of January. You've got to feel for the people of Georgia who are being flooded still with political ads after already a long year of elections. Oh, I don't know. For political nerds like you and me, Kate, I think I'd probably get some enjoyment out of it. Speak for yourself there, Claire. I'm off to Christmas lunch to forget about 2020, just very briefly. (laughs) I think we're done there. That's our 2020 catch-up shortcut. On now to our recommendations. Not so much recommendations this week, Claire, but a bit of promotion about what we have on offer over the break. First of all, Larissa and I have done a year in review mini series, so we catch people up on the big news stories. That's out over the break. Looking forward to that. And Bryce from Squiz Kids, Larissa, you and me have recorded a great big Squiz quiz and that'll be out soon too. It's a bit of fun. We hope it's something that you can put on with friends and family and play along, Mm. maybe on your car trip going somewhere. And speaking of Bryce, the host of Squiz Kids, if you're listening with kids, there's also a whole heap of content that will be up on the website, squizkids.com.au. Over the break, we're talking about quizzes, kids versus adults, interviews, <laughs> plenty to keep them occupied on those car trips, for example. Yeah, we're really thinking about you and your, your long drives this Christmas, aren't we? We are. As for shortcuts, this is the last one this year, but we'll be back on the 7th of January, refreshed and ready to go. Any requests to kick off the new year, shoot them through to hello at thesqueeze.com.au. In the meantime, have a great Christmas. Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas, everyone.